2: Everybody to this latest edition of Pick a Flick, where you pick the film, we talk about it. Simple as that. I am joined today by two, uh, well, one recurring guest from uh, an earlier episode of Pick a Flick, and one who is making his Pick a Flick debut. Um, firstly, I'm we are rejoined by Chris Wallace.
1: Hello. how you doing, Chris? I'm not too bad, thank you. How is WikiShuffle Shuffle HQ? Uh, it's the same. I've got Phil here <laughs> at the minute. He's playing Fallout, so if you hear anything, it's probably Phil. Oh, Phil's there. Oh, hello, Phil. Oh, he's in another room. Oh, Killing okay. zombies or something. All oh, oh, right.
2: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was just imagining him right next to you, like, just being really quiet. <laughs> <laughs> and we're also joined by Leslie Byron-Pitt. Hi, how you doing? Good, good. Thanks for coming on Pick a Flick. You're an old hand from... Black Hole Cinema, so it's nice to have you on this, my new venture.
3: Yes, it's really strange that it's like, oh, we're changing it now, we're doing this. It's like, what? Uh, I don't know what I'm... What, what? I, what day is it? What year is this? Um, <laughs> Who's the president? <laughs> I'm going to enjoy this format. I like the idea you've got some strange ones coming through. Um, but I'm sure you'll be, we'll be talking about them soon, so... Do, strange is not the word. <laughs> I really
2: do. And uh, somebody today nominated um, Sex in the City Two. So clearly, oh, people really, really, really want me to suffer. Okay, we have got two listener nominations today, which uh, are quite diverse and different films, um, but they're curios to say the least. So this this could be an interesting one. So let's start as we mean to go on. Let's pick a flick. <laughs> Bulworth is a 1998 American political comedy film, co-written, co-produced, directed by and starring Warren Beatty. It co-stars Halle Berry, Oliver Platt, Don Cheadle, Paul Sorvino, Jack Warden and Isaiah Washington. The film follows the title character, California Senator J. billington Bulworth, as he runs for re-election while trying to avoid a hired assassin. Let's see a little clip of this very strange film.
4: It's up to you. What'll we do? What'll we do? Well, it's up to you. You know what ain't that funny? You contribute all my money. You make your contribution, then you get your solution. As long as you can pay, I'm gonna do it all your way. Yes, the money talks and the people walk. Yeah, let me hear you say it. Big money! Oh, big money! Big money! Big money! Big, big money. money.
5: Big, big, money. money. Big, big money! Big money! Big, big money. money!
4: Big money! money. money. Big money. money. Really real. The name of our game is Let's Make a Deal. Now, people got their problems, the has and the have nots. But the ones that make me listen, pay for 30 seconds spots. 30 seconds. Yo, Bank of America, this table over here. Well, Spargo and Citibank, you really very dear. Loan billions to Mexico and never have to fear. Cause taxpayers, taxpayers, take it in the rear. Take it in, in the, the, the rear. rear, take it yeah. in the rear. Yeah. Yo, over here, we got our friends from oil. They don't give a shit how much wilderness is spoiled They tell us that they're careful. We know that it's a lie. As long as we keep driving cars, they let the planet die. Let the planet die, let the planet die. Exxon, mobile, the Saudis in Kuwait. If we still got the Middle East, the atmosphere can wait. the Arabs got the oil, we buy everything they sell. But if the brothers raise the price, we blow them all to hell. <laughs> now, let me hear you say it. Saddam. 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 Hussein. Saddam. Saddam. Hussein! Hussein!
0: Mmm! Mmm! I want you to get me a phone number. Uh, Dr. Morris Fishman,
4: UCLA. He's at the Department of Psychiatry. Go, get the number now. Get it now. Go! Everybody gonna get sick someday, but nobody know how they gonna pay. Health care, managed care, HMOs ain't gonna work, no sir, not those. Cause the thing that's the same in every one of these, these motherfuckers there. The insurance companies! Insurance! Insurance. Insurance! You can call a single payer a Canadian way Only socialised
2: medicine will ever save the day
4: Come on now
2: Let me hear that dirty word
4: Socialism!
2: For Bulworth, Warren Beatty assembled a team of three writers Aaron Sorkin, Jeremy Pixar and James Toback Due to family issues, Pixar only contributed to the writing process remotely Communicating by phone and fax And Beatty also sought guidance from the writer Elaine May. Although she was committed to working on another political film Primary colors with her former comedy partner the director Mike Nichols ballworth is unique isn't it gentlemen
3: uh you say unique um I, I think it's odd I think it's a bit strange um I think primary colors from what I remember of it with Elaine may um, Elaine may writing and Mike Nichols is a better film um, especially for you know its liberal point of view and I think that um one thing that i found is <laughs> i found it very difficult to 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 kind of get on with and i think one of the reasons why is as being you know being african caribbean as my, as i am and having and following like black politics and especially now at this moment in time and then seeing this and seeing how dated and it's just full of, uh, like, a white saviour narrative to a point. I mean, it's interesting. There's stuff in there that's really relative, um, and I think there's stuff in there that's um, really important. But I, I, there's just something about how Beatty, the writer, producer, director, and starring, kind of places himself in this film, telling his all-white campaigners, you know, all this stuff in Ebonics, and there's something a little bit jarring about it, Not to say that the film doesn't come up with good points. Unfortunately, they all seem to be that some of the good points are all kind of sermonized by like, nearly every black character in there. But I think when it came out of the when stuff like similar to this came out of the mouth of Spike Lee, in many of his films, um, case in point, something like bamboozled. People are saying, Oh, he's laying it a little bit thick, it's a bit too heavy. Um, it's really heavy handed. Whereas here it's 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 almost as bad as a satire. But I think Bamboozles a better film. I think it it really strikes a nerve and it's supposed to it's supposed to disturb where this kind of becomes a little bit too heroic and um, I don't know. I just, I, not all of it I kind of got on board with and I kind of lost interest, especially with the assassin narrative.
1: I, I agree with a lot of what you just said. I found the film really very much a product of its times. It's very nineties and it's, uh, it's very self-indulgent on Warren Beatty's part. It's very much, he's front and center and it's his story. And yeah, the assassin thing, I didn't really know where it was going. And to be honest, I, it, it did make me cringe and not in the way that it intended me to, in the way that I felt uncomfortable with the situations that he was putting himself in, but not for the reasons that he wanted me to feel uncomfortable. It's just, <laughs> this, this film just doesn't—it doesn't work for me. It's nice seeing a young Halle Berry. I thought she was, you know, she was good, but this wasn't a film for me, and it's probably not one that I would watch again. It's
2: weird, isn't it? In in that I think I think again, I think you both you both got a lot. You're on the money there with a lot of that. I think, though, that even though, yeah, it's cringeworthy,
1: I kind of think that's maybe the point. Yeah, I do, exactly. And I think there was times when it was telling me, you should be cringing. And if something is telling me to cringe, it's almost a double a double bluff or something. It's, it's, it's forcing me to do that, and I don't know if that's the intention.
3: My issue would probably be more in a sense of, I'm cringing because I'm here listening to it, and it's got... Pras from the Fugees on the soundtrack yeah. <laughs> playing "Ghetto Superstar" and and it's got O.D.B. on there and, and and it's just you're listening to it and it's not that what he said I you know I agree with a lot of what he's saying but I find it really cringeworthy that at one point you've got Halle Berry he and, you know Bulworth trying to be the senator and then Halle Berry just reams off this kind of political monologue. Mm. and it just doesn't feel... That bit in the limousine. Yeah. 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 It doesn't ring true. And then it goes to Don Cheadle, who does exactly the same thing, and it just feels... It's not so much that they're wrong, and it's not so much that you wouldn't believe characters would say anything like that. It's more the sense that it almost seems like it's that bit in "Don't Be a Menace to South Central While Drinking Juice in the Hood" where everybody just stops, they reel off something, and then you're supposed to hear message just right at the end, and that's what's so cringeworthy about it. It's not the it's not the fact that the characters are, are stupid. It just seems so. It's cringy on how it is put forward. I mean. At this moment in time, um, I wrote a review for um, Vodzilla, um, sorry to plug, um, about Dear White People that has just been released. It was released a couple of weeks ago. And as a satire, that is, you know, it's far more on point. It hits the nail on the head so much better because you believe the characters a lot more, whereas this is very sort of... They're all very postured. They're all very, you know, they're all. It just doesn't work for me in that in that way. The idea that you have certain characters who are coming from a certain point of view, which once again I, I do find, you know, I agree with to a point. But then on the flip side of it, the way they talk at times is just it just doesn't ring true. And strangely enough, in term from the Rotten Tomatoes score um was like i think it was 68 no actually no that's a that's a lie the rotten tomato score was 75 and then the imdb rating score was um 6.8 so it was actually well taken on board whereas something like school Days, something like you know anything from spikes um body of work anything from from a, a point of view which would probably be more inclined to that sort of um, to to what it's trying to suggest and what it's saying is gets a lot less in terms of its ratings now I'm not sure if that's because of the amount of um, people who have seen it or not but I just think there's a lot of oh well it's Warren Beatty so therefore and you know Beatty's political standings and film standings this is the guy that ushered in you know the coming of the the American New Wave so he he does have a certain you know stature whereas in this film it just seems like he's trying to get some strange from some brown sugar (laughs) it does feel like it's you know it's not just a a passion project. It's a uh, let's see, let's let's have Beatty, who's old at this point, and and this is after his um his situation with Madonna.
1: The self indulgence that I found with it, because his history is of being a bit of a, a bit of a ladies man, and this film makes it sound makes him come across quite badly in my eyes. I, don't, I think it's a self indulgent thing. And it just doesn't work for me.
2: He was very insecure about it, though. Like I say, he went to Elaine May because he was insecure about the script. Jeremy Pixer, who co-wrote it with him, said that it was a really frustrating
1: experience because Beatty would spend months reworking reworking drafts and. I think maybe that's where it's fell down then, in some ways. Um, if it's taken too many cooks comes to mind, maybe. Yeah. What part did Aaron Sorkin play in it? What role did he take on in making it?
2: Apparently, he just did a lot of uncredited work on the script. Now, I don't, I don't feel like he's. I mean, obviously, you know, the agenda of Bullworth is very much a, a Sorkin kind of agenda. Yeah. But uh, you know, but at the same time, you don't feel when you when you you know you listen to when you hear scripts like you know The Social Network and things like that, you can feel Sorkin in the dialogue. I didn't feel that with this, probably because Beatty is Beatty, and he's got the biggest ego of any actor in the history of ever. So he yeah. probably just made this exactly what he wanted it to be mm. and hence why it was made in complete stealth and it took contractual wrangling for 20th Century Fox to release it. And they only did it for a brief period of time almost without any publicity. And, and partly because they backed out of producing Dick Tracy. So Beatty apparently, according to Peter Swirsky who'd studied the film, Sir Beatty used the leverage of a lawsuit to wrangle unprecedented artistic freedom. Dis- disclosing only the barest outline of the story and essentially duping Twentieth Century Fox into bankrolling the project. And to so, be fair, I I can't imagine a studio in this
3: day and age bankrolling Borrough. No. no, I can't. I can't see. I can't see any anyone. In this stage, with someone with the power of someone like Bates being able to do something like that, that's you know that's unprecedented to to a point. You know, I love that story's fantastic, but I think when when you look at it, Elaine May, uh, Sorkin, these are all interesting guys and and great writers. You know, May and um, Nichols they did they used to do stand up in the sixties, but I think the problem. I would have had with something like this is it, you know, as much as they wanted to make sure it gets through and everything else like that, it's the argument that's coming through that I'm seeing a lot on the internet where it's going, if there was more people of color, it would work probably better. You know, we've just had Spike Lee turn around. I keep bringing up Spike Lee, but, you know, you have Spike Lee turn around recently after getting his honorary Oscar and going, well, there's not enough representation in there. And it's not just they want to see more black people in films or or anything else like that. It's that when you get stuff like Bullworth, it doesn't ring true. It doesn't feel right, and one of the reasons why is there's there's no one writing of, of of that thing, uh, no one writing or no one of that kind of of that background in there. It reminds me of B- the BBC and the Crouches all over again, and which they you know they hired a white writer to to go in there and he made fundamental mistakes about a about a black family. He didn't know anything, you know. He didn't know about what you know. He didn't know that we call. Priests, pastors or anything else like that he had no real knowledge of that so it didn't feel right
1: that's that's yeah that's probably hit the nail on the head for but me he actually kind of felt really off throughout the whole film it just didn't feel it just felt off and yeah. that's, that's probably a big part of it well,
3: the music I, I enjoy but even that is dated as hell <laughs>
1: i mean the is 90s just... were a hard time for all of us <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> do you not feel though that in a way i mean when, when i was watching it I, I wasn't sure what to make of it throughout a lot of it. And I, was, I felt like it couldn't decide whether it wanted to be a farce, whether it wanted to be a serious drama, whether it wanted to be you know, a searing political satire. It didn't seem to know. And I don't think Beatty knew. I think he was just doing anything. What struck me, though, was how passive, oddly, he is all the way through. And it's like the character of Bulworth, is, it's like he's on a steamroller of just what he's doing. Is he's, he's like he's in a dream. And that, I took issue with the ending where he has that like two-day sleep and then he wakes up and he's back to normal again and it's like well the whole point of what you were doing are you basically are you basically trying to say that it's it's okay to say these things as long as you get vindicated at the end and then you die for your, for your sins you know it was very much like well what message are you trying to give out you know because the message of the film and, and what it's saying and what it's what it's railing against is as relevant today it is a very 90s film in many respects Chris like you said but it's as relevant today what it's saying as it ever was but I just don't know quite what who Beatty was aiming it at really and what it was for really as opposed to just being a bit of a vanity project where he could do some terrible rapping
3: <laughs> it's not, it's well, that's the thing, you know. If you 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 mentioned like where's Aaron Sorkin come into it? It's got the, the rapping is very a tat, tat and you could imagine Sorkin being the guy trying to do something like that. Um, not saying that you know what what he, what he came out with was good. <laughs> what I'm saying is just the the rhythm of it. But I don't know. I just find it. I I lost interest the moment that the rapping Granny from Don't Be a Menace came in here in there and i think one of the reasons why as absurd as that film is as a, as a film as a spoof it seems to get the point across so much better because it needs a bit more absurdity in it and i think you're right tony it doesn't it doesn't it's not absurd enough to to be a spoof or or a, you know a, an absurd satire and then at times it's 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 far too serious for its own good. I think the ending, you know, its Shaft remake ending, as I like to <laughs> I like to call it, where it's just like, you know, just you know, just have a gunshot in there and, and to sort everything out, is just so on the nose and so I, you know, it's so what Oscar, you know, what you know the Oscar the Oscar board would would love in a film, and I think that's probably my and it got an Oscar nomination for its screenplay as well, and I think that's my my big issue with, with a film like this in the sense of it, it's so sermonizing you've got don cheetle's character in there and you come the way he comes in and you're like okay fine well he's a certain type of character then he comes out with this sort of political aspect of it and i'm just like oh god and i i think the reason why i get so annoyed is Show, don't tell. I think that's the big, big issue. There's so much of it that is so on the nose through the dialogue as opposed to, you know, this character Billworth doesn't view anything and, and then takes it on board as something and, uh, or anything else like that. No, what he just what he seems to do is just he hears what people are saying and then just relays it out to a different audience. And it just feels it comes across as false comes, you know him as, as you say, Chris. He is so passive, and I've got a massive issue for for passive protagonists a lot of the time. But it's one of those things where you just have a character, and of course he's supposed to be the eyes and ears. But he's so just like, oh, he can just waltz through things. And sometimes there was there was a point in time where he has a he has that little spat with um, I can't remember which character. I think it's Halle Berry's um, brother and he's having yeah. this little spat and he's given, you know he's giving the whole motherfucker this motherfucker that and it, he's just grinning and it's just it's so cringeworthy yeah. because it's just so there's an arrogance to it well you know
2: the bit that got me for that as well when Don is doing his big speech to, to Beatty in, in his house and he's talking really fast and, and Bulworth just goes like that as if to say you you know stop talking like some sort of fast speaking black man and I was like and Don Cheadle just stops, and it's like he goes. Blah, blah. I'm like, really? You really? Yeah. You know? It's like I mean, that's just uh, even for Bulworth sort of complete daze. I just thought that
3: was just so wrong. In uh, <laughs> I just but don't it, know. It's, it's the arrogance of the movie. Isn't yeah, it? I exactly.
1: Mean, <laughs> it is. A, yeah, it's a, it's a very arrogant movie. One thing I would say about Don Cheadle, though, that I have learned from this, he's never aged a day.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's I, I don't know how he's done it, but he looks exactly the same.
3: That man, is, is I, I love that guy. I have he's so much with Don even in this where he's, you know, he's he's kind of doing this you know, in the early nineties around that time, he was only really found in films like this, trying to play. He, he played this kind of hot-headed character. Yeah. Fantastic in the Devil Wears um, a Blue Dress.
1: One thing he's, I do yeah. love about him is he's so consistent. It's all, Don Cheadle never he never gets. Like super praise, but he never gets anything negative. He's been consistently good throughout his career, which is something that I think is to be applauded in itself.
2: I would say one thing though, and uh, I agree except for I just, one film, Ocean's Eleven, with his oh, I oh yeah, I forgot
3: about that. I like that. I like that too for an ego ego trip. of I love that film because it's such an ego trip, but it knows it's a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Route. and he's still I good think- in it. He's still good <laughs> in it. The thing is, like you know, that it's, it's a, a terrible accent. But those <laughs> series of films know for a fact what types of movie they are. They are winking at the audience all the yeah. time, unlike Bulworth.
1: Exactly. This is what this film maybe wanted to do, but it definitely didn't do it. Ocean's Eleven is probably a much better way of because I think at one point Don Cheadle blows something up and he says, "Blimey." <laughs>
2: <laughs> maybe if he done, maybe if he'd done that in that, this film, it would have been better. But as a final, as a final fact, um, before we move on from Bulworth, apparently in 2013, a little-known figure uh, named Barack Obama said that in private he's talked longingly of going Bulworth. <laughs> uh, uh, apparently, so make of make of that what you will.
3: <laughs> you say that, but I I think there's a there's something to be said about someone like Barack Obama enjoying and and liking this film and having that. That, that situation there, I think it's something to say about something like Bullworth. I can imagine him because there's a lot of political aspect in there that is still still being said. You can still hear this stuff being related. So the idea that Barack read watched the film and wanted to just be as honest as he can. And you know, we're, at the time of recording, we're saying this at the time where he, you know everyone's going a little bit loopy at the fact that he said "pop off" in a in a presidential speech. You know, I think it's it's something to be said about the film. If there is something to be, you know, at least he got something out of it as opposed to ourselves. <laughs> well, that's yeah, that's,
2: that's some blessed relief. <laughs>
3: So that was Bullworth, uh,
2: nominated by Jay Everington, um, someone I know, I've known for quite a while now, on a, a writing website uh, called MZPTV that we both frequented. He's at Jay Catalyst on Twitter. Yeah, he's uh, he's a big political guy, Jay. He knows a hell of a lot about, about politics, so um, hopefully he'll get something out of this. So yeah, good nomination, Jay. Thank you for that. Moving on then, we're going to stay on the uh, political uh, arena because we're going to... Use this as a segue to talk about the best and worst political movies that we've that we've come across. We have some nominations for these um, from people on Twitter and on Facebook, and we'll get to that in a little while. But um, gents, what in your research? What did you find to be
1: the uh, the best or the worst
2: political movies, or
1: at least the most interesting? Well, I didn't realise because I wouldn't. I didn't think before this that I was um, into a lot of political thrillers or films but it turns out i am like (laughs) you don't realize because you just put them down as thrillers but when you go through the films you've watched oh actually that is a very political film like even with tv house of cards is a very politically driven oh yeah thing and i love that but for me the best one i can think i've seen in recent years anyway i really liked the ides of march you know with ryan goslin which i'd completely forgotten about but Ryan Gosling and George Clooney. Oh, yeah, that, I was because yeah, I love that. Was that directed by George Clooney as well? Yes. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. four mm. film. Cool. I, I really loved that. I I don't know what it was about it because <laughs> it's a very dry film, but I thought it it was a nice interpretation of American politics. What what was it What was it about? There was a campaign going on. I think Ryan Gosling whatever his character's name was, as you can tell, I'm very heavily resentful. <laughs> <laughs> I think he slept with someone on the campaign tour and it all sort of spiralled out of control. Oh. George Clooney. It was, it, was, it was a good film. That's a, my one good film that I can remember from recent years anyway.
2: That's worth checking out then, definitely.
1: I would definitely check it out if, you, if you're like me because I honestly didn't think that political thrillers would be something that I would be into but that one is definitely one for noobs. Noobs. Mm.
3: How about you Liz? Um, how How long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> when I heard that we're going to do this, i you know I, I really like I like all types of films and I, I, you know in terms of favorites um I'll go straight off. my favorite, the one that, I, that always comes to mind for me is Stanley Kubrick's um, Doctor. Strangelove. Oh, right. that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. see
1: that's another one I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: I'm a massive Kubrick fan, anyway. I still think it's one of the most potent movies ever going about not only nuclear war, but how politics is handled, how we, how we look at politics, and the absurdity of politics and war. Even so much so than um, the film that he did beforehand, which was Paths of Glory, which I also love. It gets now it gets difficult because when you look at military films, they always have a political aspect to them so stuff like Lawrence of Arabia there is you know something running through that a lot I'm a big fan of um, this year I got on Blu-ray and I think it was Masters of Cinema it might be Arrow but I'm not sure um, who the distributor is but um, M um, the 1931 film with Peter Lorre is a fantastic movie in which uh, Lorre plays a child murderer and he's he's a paedophile and child murderer and what happens is kids are going missing and he and, and what happens is the town goes into kind of disarray because they can't find him. So it's kind of like a procedural and the police are looking for him, but they're, they're quite ineffective. What happens afterwards is you get the criminals who get really upset because what happens is the police start shaking them down. So the police, um, the, the, um, the criminals take it into their own hands in order to find the murderer. And what happens is, it's something that we still see to this day. The idea of you see an atrocity happen, and then all the opinions come out, all the the worry and the fear and suspicion kind of comes in, into the, uh, into into place. And it's uh, you know we 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 look to certain things we look to the authorities to try and help and when they don't help what do we do and that's I think that's a beautiful film it's more of a, a, a thriller than anything else but there is a there is a sort of broad politics that kind of flow through there they're still not the ones I've decided to pick today. <laughs> <laughs> uh- I decided to pick um, the first. I've, I've picked two and i 'm sorry if that 's um, breaking the rules slightly, No, nah, there was no uh, rules go for it. The first one I picked was the Manchurian candidate, the Jonathan demi thousand and four ah,
2: not um, the, not the original then, not the John Frankenheimer original one
3: no, I love John Frankenheimer one, um, and I think it 's a really i think that 's a really good film um I love both versions I think. You know, we're in a state at this moment in time where everyone's moaning about remakes and then you come up with something like The Manchurian Candidate and you actually re- I actually re- really enjoy this movie um, as a remake. I think Demi puts across some really interesting and strong ideas of race and the idea of pol- um, politics being owned now, not by the candidates and not by the political ideologies that were in the sixties, but of by companies and conglomerates. And I find that to be ultimately the most scariest thing because it feels too true. Not to say that it is, but it feels true. It's shot. I think, you know, Demi obviously has his visual, certain visuals, central framing and everything else like that, but it's filmed like a proper film. It's filmed in such a stand-up, normal uh, in, in, in a, in a way that I kind of miss. And I, I really, it's a two, two, two hours, 10 movie. And it doesn't feel like that to me at all. Um, I love the performances. I think Mel Streep is fantastic, but I also love just the fact that you've got someone like um, Denzel and Denzel's so good as a, as a, as a performer. And you see him in, as a kind of slubby you know that charm that we usually see him there is not really there but he's still always so engaging throughout the film and they also play about with the ending in such a way that it doesn't feel false i really i really like that i, I really like how it's water the second film i just finished watching before we came on it's michael hennecke's the white ribbon
2: oh I'm not, I'm not familiar with that one what's what's that one
3: I'm a massive Henneke fan. He is Austrian filmmaker, quite political, um, goes into a kind of th- philosophical elements with his films. He is definition of European art house to a put to, to many people. He did. He did funny games, didn't he? He did funny games.
2: Yes, he did. Yeah, that's uh, a fucked up film. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Have you seen that, Chris? Have you ever seen Funny Games? No. Oh uh, no. Do- <laughs> Lock up
1: Funny
3: Games. Well, like
1: I'm so out of my depth. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I love funny games. I love Henneke's films and um he goes into politics all the time. He's got um 71 chronicles of a a, a moment of chance which is not the correct title I know before anyone corrects me <laughs> um, but um that's kind of what it's called and code unknown which deals with refugees and it's fragment both films are fragmented in a way that you see something really small occur involving maybe a a refugee or a migrant and they they expand into greater things. And it looks all over the place. It goes all over the place. Um, They're great movies, but I don't want to talk to about about that. I want to talk about the white ribbon. One reason why is one. I hadn't hadn't seen it until today, but what I love about the white ribbon is it's shot in black and white. It looks like a Bergman film. It looks like Imar Bergman, um, narrated by someone who used to live in this um, village Um, allegedly, it's a fictional village and these kids there's a whole
1: and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home.
0: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
3: A small, tiny village that lived in Harmony for ages, and the kids go off one day, and they go to the edge of the village for some reason, and what happens is the doctor is coming back from... A ride after you know to get ready to look after his patients and he trips on some wire so like a trip wire trips off his horse he falls over and this this incident sparks off just a wave of mistrust they wonder where the kid why the kids were in the place that they were they start wondering they start they start looking at um, the serfs and the the people who are working um, and toiling away and, and, and going, well, what was going on here? And it's just these small incidents that start to occur, that start to arouse suspicion around the whole village, be it from the rich and the poor, doesn't matter who. And you see how uh, women are treated as male authority type village, and it's set just before World War One in Germany. So, therefore it's about sowing the seeds of evil so to speak and it's a dark film it's a really really dark film and it's just unbelievably scary throughout in terms of nothing really, you know, these things happen within the film. You know, we're all so inclined to kind of try and find out who's done it. It's not really about who's done what. It's about how the tensions arise and suspicion comes through and and worry and trouble and how the village is never really the same again based on these incidents. And it's so, so, for me, it's so, so absorbing. It's 144 minutes and you're in there with them. And that's one of the things with Henneke. He's a little bit like Gaspar Noe, in which where he 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 goes, You're in here with me, you're in here with with us, you're gonna have to transit through this. And it's not it's not a, a graphic film, it's not a particularly explicit film, but it's just quite unsettling. One of the things is, as you know, it's set in just before World War One, and then at the end of the film, everyone goes to war, not really spoiling too much. One, because there's many more incidents that happen and two there is it's very ambiguous there is no answers but it kind of hints at the fact that the children that are in the film obviously grow up to be the soldiers that uh, become part of nazism it's that fear and suspicion of obviously that was you know set by hitler after world war one and you know that sort of aspect that kind of lingers in there but it's never said and then we look at where we are today and we look and we look at everything that's happened in the last week at time of recording. And there's been so much in terms of opinion and memes and talk and suspicion and fear and worry and asking for retaliation and um, bothersome aspects of our of the common man and, and who does what and people not being on air, airplanes and whatnot. And what Heneke does really well is he takes these things and he may set them in a certain period or in a certain setting but he makes them so universal that it it becomes very disturbing. <laughs> I just think it's I think it's a fantastic movie for anyone that's so inclined. It won't be for anyone. Like I said, it does look like a, a Bergman film. It's set in black and white. It's luscious black and white, and it won't be for 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 everyone. But I, I I strongly urge people to 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 try and have a look when they have a when they can. Well,
2: I'll definitely I'll definitely look that up. That sounds that sounds fantastic. There have been a few. Uh, suggestions from people online. On Facebook, uh, Matt Latham suggested Team America. <laughs> <It's amazing. laughs> yeah, 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 which is always a good one, which, oh yeah, I love. I, what, I think that's a brilliant political one. Becca Andrews on Facebook also said uh, Wag the Dog, which is um, the satire with uh, Barry Levinson from the late 90s with uh, Dustin Hoffman and Robert De Niro. It's, uh, not it's not bad, solid. Yeah,
3: it's not, it's not too bad. right. I'm not a big, I'm not the biggest fan of it. I know lots of people that love that movie,
2: but mm. yeah, I quite enjoyed that one. Yeah, that was good. On Facebook, uh, Andrew Brooker, known to many from uh, Failed Critics, uh, gave a few. He said he, the best ones he cited were Nixon, the uh, Anthony Hopkins uh, biopic, Frost Nixon, which was the Frank Langella. Uh, Martin Sheen, Martin Sheen, Michael Sheen, <laughs> face <laughs> off. Um, yeah, which is also quite a good film, although I would argue the book's better. And Argo, which.
1: Oh, I, I liked Argo. Ben Affleck directed that, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Is it the first one he did, or was it The Town was the first one he did? Um, Gone Baby Gone yeah it's, God it's, Baby it, was, God. it was his
2: third one I think but no Ar- Argo was Argo was tremendous film I thought that was
1: fantastic Argo Ben Affleck gets a lot of stick but I, I, I quite like the guy oh, I I
2: think he's I think he's uh, if anything better behind the camera sometimes than before before it, before it actually Ben Affleck he's, yeah I'd agree with
1: that yeah
2: he's um, he's mm. great Brooker also said the worst ones um, he named Ballworth <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he also uh, he also suggested Bobby, which is the uh, 2006 story about um, Robert F Kennedy's assassination, written and directed by Emilio Estevez.
3: Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, do, I do remember. I've never seen it, but I've heard it's pretty bog standard, pretty average. It's
2: got a good cast, though. You know, Anthony Hopkins, Lawrence Fishburne, Heather Graham, Helen Hunt, Charlize Theron. Um, Lindsay, Lindsay Lohan William H. Macy Demi Moore Martin Sheen obviously his dad Christian Slater Sharon Stone Elijah Wood ridiculous cast but yeah also Crawl Space Dweller Matt great name suggested the interview the last year's um, very controversial James Franco Seth Rogen film which was ultimately about as controversial as anything else they do when you watch it which is not at all <laughs> <laughs> so yeah those those were a few good suggestions on the on the internet. I think the one I would throw out finally before we move on is uh, all the President's Men from obviously 19, uh, 1976 I believe, which is just for me brilliant. I I, th- I love that film for for I find the Watergate era incredibly interesting anyway, and what happened around that time. Which uh, and Alan J. Pakula is one of the greatest underrated directors in Hollywood history for me. He's fabulous. He's he? brilliant and he doesn't get put up there with, with your Kubrick's and your and your Scorsese's and everything, but he's not far off those. It's
3: because he was really understated. Yeah. I think that's...
1: <laughs> you
2: know. No, I think so. But the, All the President's Men is just it's forensic. I love films like that. It's, it's why I like Zodiac, because Zodiac reminded me a lot of the, All the President's Men, because of how forensically David Fincher put that story together. And, and All the President's Men is forensic, but it's also it's also got that sense of character and that sense of drama. Um it's just and it's just really clever. I think the Parallax view as well was similar and that was peculiar. And that was again yes, an excellent film. Um, not quite as good as All the President's Men, but I think I like I like the films that really sort of depict the end of the American dream. And those are the films that sort of sum that era up really. It's um it's an interesting topic political films. I urge you to go out and, and look at some of these we've talked about because um these these films can often reflect a lot of things and a lot of them are still relevant now even though they were made 40, 50 years ago or, or
1: further back, That's what I find quite fascinating about it, that, you know,
2: they are all still relevant. Yeah, <laughs> they really are. And it, it's, you wouldn't think that, but I think, uh, unfortunately, it says a lot about our society, really. <laughs> but, you know. Um, the fact
1: the fashion isn't relevant. Well, <laughs> but yeah, 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 not that. Let's just skip past that. Let's go <laughs> to the theme.
2: So, yeah, thanks to everyone who um, who uh, responded to us on social media for that one. So with uh, with that, Um, Let's move on and let's pick another flick. Babette's Feast is a 1987 Danish drama film directed by Gabriel Axel. The film's screenplay was written by Axel based on the story by Isaac Dinneson. Produced by Just Betzer, Bo Christensen and Benny Corson with funding from the Danish Film Institute, Babette's Feast was the first Danish cinema film... Of a Blixen, of a Dinesen story. Dinesen also known as Karen Blixen. It was also the first Danish film to win the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film. Let's have a look at this one.
5: fröjd Människan tror i sin svaghet och sin kortsyndighet att hon måste göra sitt val här i livet. Och fruktar den risk hon där löper. Vi känner fruktan. Men nej. Vårt val är utan betydelse. Den tid kommer då våra ögon öppnas och vi omsidor inser att nåden är utan ände. Vi ska blant vänta i tillit och mottaga i tacksamhet. Nåden ställer inga villkor. se allt som vi har valt blev oss givet. Allt vad vi har avstått från blir oss beviljat. Ja, vi får också det tillbaka som vi har kastat bort. Varmärtighet. Och sannhet möta.
2: Blixen's original, or Dinason's original story, takes place in the Norwegian port town of Birlvag, a setting of multicoloured woodhouses on a long fjord. However, when Axel researched locations in Norway, he found the setting was too idyllic and resembled a beautiful tourist brochure. He shifted the location to the flat, wind coast of western Jutland and asked his set designer, Sven Wichmann, to build a small grey village resembling a one-horse town. Marock Church, a plain Romanesque church built around 1250 on a remote seaside cliff near the village of Lonstrup, was used as a backdrop. I think that location history actually sets the scene for, for the film, doesn't it? Because I, I, I really enjoyed this, and I, I'm, I'm surprised at how much I did, because... As awful as this is to admit, I'm not a big foreign language film guy, but I, I I really found myself appreciating what this film was. I don't know what what did you guys think?
1: Well, this film, I thought initially that ah, um, oh, I'm gonna hate this film. <laughs> but yeah. I started, and it, but I started watching it, and I, you know what? It's it's all right. It's a night. Nice, it's got a nice message. Mm. I like what it was trying to say. It's a little bit come down with me, but I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because there's that whole bit in the middle where and I'm, I'm skipping all over the place now but they say oh she's gonna she's gonna cook her french food <laughs> oh, and they'd have weird it, it takes a weird turn halfway through at first it starts off quite bland and this french lady she comes over for reasons <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and um she is the cook for these two sisters And uh, that wound me up a little bit because um, they can cook themselves, but no, fine. Yeah, she does the cooking. You can do all the chores. Yeah, she can cook the brown stuff. (laughs) Predominantly, what they were eating. It did did Um, look fucking awful.
2: That that gloop they were giving the old men. It's like
1: it was awful. And then she eventually makes this feast, and um, they all have weird nightmares about it, and it all goes a bit weird and they say we're not going to talk about it they'll wait till they get in the taxi <laughs> at the end they come, down with me they her... come dine with
2: Babette yeah
1: exactly that's what it was but in the end it all
2: turns out alright I just want to imagine the the, the dining scene with the, with the jaunty voiceover going oh look at the reaction there I like, oh look, look at that turtle oh, that turtle <laughs> mind, mind yourself Babette oh
1: my, my reviews aren't as as in depth but I thought <laughs> it was good, <laughs> it was good. Good old laugh. <laughs> good old laugh. It's a good old laugh. It's a good old laugh. And you see, everybody was happy in the end. They were. Although well, probably shouldn't have spent all that money on all that food. But well, I I, well, I
2: did think that if you won the lottery, you don't spend it on a feast for a bunch of miserable fucking Christians who you know want it. Yeah, who don't even want the food, you know, and then moan. Only to discover that you know they actually quite like eating stuff that isn't brown shit, which which is effectively the plot, guys. So you know, enjoy yourselves when you watch this
3: film. (laughs) Come on, guys. I mean, let's 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 be honest here. They've never tried that food before. No, that's true. That's That's kind of that's kind of the the point of it. This that this this woman comes through from a very to a very modest village that has never really experienced anything before. So you know the. For me, I, I very much in the same way as you guys. I, I found it watchable. I enjoyed it um, to a point. I wasn't the biggest fan of it. I think it, it took a little while um, to get into, and then when it gets to what it wants to say, I was like, okay, well, I kind of know where this is going. I think I do really enjoy what they say. Or you know, the the ending, the final the final moments of the film. The idea that there's something about the beauty. There's something about something beautiful, and and. Needed and justified in art, whether or not people like it or not, whether or not people not understand it or not, and the idea that you know art should transcend you know, uh, certain aspects and uh, such as money and everything else like that. And that's one of the, you know, and that's something I really enjoy. That's something I really like. And, you know, they are a bunch of miserable Christians and I'm there going, yes, they are a bunch of miserable bastards. Um, <laughs> the messaging was spot on.
1: I thought everything it was trying to do, it did very well. I can't fault this film. I can't say anything was bad at it, bad about it. Clockwise, all I can do is pick apart the bits that are funny. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it just is, isn't it? it's
3: just a film that just is. It's I can a film. It's just...
2: it's, It was. It was a ni- I think it was a nice film. It's interesting. Some some in- interesting facts about it. The uh, the Nordisk film production company suggested the cast of Babette's Feast should only include Danish actors to reduce production costs. However, the director Axel wanted Danish, Swedish, and French actors. To play the roles for the sake of authenticity, and I think he's quite right. The, ti- the title character of Babette was originally offered to Catherine Deneuve, who obviously is the very famous um, French actress. She was interested, but she was concerned because she's been criticised in the past when she's attempted to depart from her usual sophisticated woman roles. And then Axel met with the uh, actress Ste- Stéphane Audran, and uh, she, he realised that she was Babette, really. And I, I, th- I think that's... I think that's right, really. I mean, Catherine Deneuve's a, a great actress, but I, I think I'd never seen this this lady before. But I think she was very good. I think I think she was very committed, and she she gave a nice performance. You know, I, I liked her, and I wanted her to. I thought she was a bit of a, a, a fool for actually being so nice to these people. But I think I think yeah. it was yeah. You know, she she you know at one point when they say oh yeah she's going to go back to Paris, I was like well yeah fucking go back to Paris. You know, it's
1: <laughs> With that <bit> specifically <laughs> it's like- she says. Oh, it's all right if I go back to Paris, and they reluctantly say, "Yeah, you can go back to Paris." And then they have a meeting and say, basically, "Who's going to make our dinner?" Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. That's what it is. Really, <laughs> there's a whole town meeting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's
2: like, well, but she, uh, you know, I bought the role, and obviously, you know, we, we're joking, but there are a lot of nice, there are a lot of good themes in this, and a lot of a lot of subtext and things, and a lot of character. But it's, it was it was a good performance. It was a good central performance.
1: I thought, she, it might just be me, but she did look a lot like Jolie Richardson. Did you think that? Yeah. Point. Actually, she did. I don't know what it was. No, I, I can see that. Like a French Jolie Richardson. French Jolie Richardson.
2: Yeah, a little. That's what I took away. No themes, no
1: interpretations. Chrissy's like, yeah, she looks, she looks like. She too. looks like Jolie Richardson. <laughs> Everyone likes nice dinners. <laughs> Oh, look at that! No, put that away Babette. Ooh. That That's I,
2: <laughs> I really want to come dine with Babette now. I think that would be amazing. I really do. But yeah, it was, it was it was a nice film, and I'm glad we were we were nominated a, a foreign language film like this because I'd never heard of this one before. So um, you know, I'm glad we did. Do you want to know the actual menu, the full menu that she that she serves? Yes, for it. it consists of uh, potage à la tortue, which is obviously turtle soup served with amontillado sherry. And I think there's one point somebody goes, oh, amontillado. Uh, the old guy with the moustache, he's like, oh, amontillado.
1: Uh, there was a lot of facial hair going on. There was, hell of a lot.
2: And a lot. And a lot of, he was just the guy who was going, is there any more um, is there any more wine? Like that, yeah. Then there was um, Blinis Demidoff, which is buckwheat cakes with caviar and sour cream. I don't know what buckwheat is. Les, you're a chef. Do you know what buckwheat is?
3: Um, the only buckwheat I'm thinking, I don't know, oh, I think it might be a grain, but I'm also thinking of um, Buckfast, that infamous Scottish drink. <laughs> so,
5: um,
3: Tonic wine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that's, that may, you know, kind of um, show why they interacted in the way they did it after the feast. Yeah, but, um... possibly.
2: Um, that, was, that was served with Verve Clicquot Champagne, then there was quail and socophage, which is quail in puff pastry shell with foie gras and truffle sauce. Fucking hell, no wonder this cost her all her lottery money. Jesus. Oh, I didn't mind that, that did look good. Yeah, it yeah. did. Um, that was served with Claude de Vougio Pinot Noir. That was the wine that that old duffer was asking for a um, lot. <laughs> <and, laughs> <old duffer. laughs> An endive salad, um, savarin rhum avec des figues et fruit glace, Jesus Christ, fruit glace, that was rum sponge cake with figs and candied cherries served with champagne, assorted cheeses and fruits served with sautern and coffee with Villemarque Grand Champagne Cognac. Blimey.
1: And these people were only used to yeah. brown stuff. Yeah, I was just saying, right.
2: I was about to say, imagine going from the, the, the gloop shit to that. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then the worst thing, going from that back to the gloop shit, which is what they would have had to do. I'd have been so, I'd be like, oh God, I can't do this. I bet they all threw
1: themselves off the the cliff yeah. <laughs> she's only going to do it once she spent all her winnings yeah yeah to get used to your brown stuff again <laughs> you'll never have that night that night was there and she's but you spent the build up for it dreading it happens an hour done yeah you've got <laughs> your brown stuff brand you've got the back so really you know for, for all the nice
2: messages at the end of the day really she you know what she did was very cruel because those people you know those people have suffered.
1: In all honesty, if I, I thought that film was really good. It yeah. was a lovely film. So had a brilliant message to it. There's nothing bad about that film at all.
2: But you won't watch it's it again. It's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> a final little uh, question for you guys. Who has identified Babette's Feast as uh, his favourite film? The guy that narrates Come Down With Me.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Who? Now, th- getting, can't be an American guy. No, it's not an American guy.
2: Yeah, I know this is quite a broad question, but like, you know... Wh- wh- no, you know what? I think I've read this. Go on, then. Wh- when you find out who it is, you're not going to be remotely surprised.
3: Richard Attenborough? <laughs> no.
2: <laughs> Although, he is, this guy is this guy, this guy, old, so I'll give you that. Although- Gordon Ramsey.
1: <laughs> Gordon Ramsey.
2: No. Um, I'll put you both out of your misery. Um, it's the Pope. Ah. Oh, right. Okay, yes. The, the current Pope, as in, the, you know, the-, the guy, Pope Francis... Um, who is currently in the hot seat? So yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea that it's a hot seat.
2: Oh, oh. It's is round. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, it's your round, Pope.
2: Um, so yeah, there you go. That's um, Babbitt's Feast, which uh, I did really enjoy. So thank you to um, to Claire Tanner for that nomination. It's a uh, a very different one from what we've had. Claire Tanner at, at Film Back Claire. On Twitter, she is a production assistant, podcast junkie, cinephile, producer, and co-host for at Filmback TV, and she also loves ironic t-shirts, fun socks, sock monkeys, and tea. So, if you um, follow Filmback at Filmback TV, which is a podcast for sh- thri- striving and thriving filmmakers, do give them a look. Give Claire a follow, and um, big thanks for uh, inviting us to the feast. Before we wrap up, I'm gonna. Put Les through some misery, because it's time for you to
3: <laughs> to take... I thought this was not going to come up. Uh... <laughs> <I> hate quizzes.
2: <laughs> which is, you know, naturally why you, you need to do one. This is the <laughs> question time quiz. Uh, now, Chris, you're welcome to jump in if you do know any of these questions um, okay. that are coming up. And uh, this is based on the nominated film that uh, Les suggested, which is Boogey Nights. Dun, 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 dun. I would have picked one that I would know
3: more if I knew this was the case.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, this is it now. You have committed yourself. So you have eight questions on Boogie Nights, which is the 1997 classic by Paul Thomas Anderson. Brilliant film. One of the best films of the 90s. So it's a good choice. Les, are you ready? Yeah. (laughs) I'm sensing the lack of commitment, but...
1: (laughs) You've got to commit to a quiz, guys. Come on. Yes. Quiz time. Yeah,
2: quiz time. Quiz up. Quiz up. So, yeah, Chris, jump in if you know him,
1: but... Uh, I won't. You can grab that.
2: <laughs> I'll try. Okay. Question one. Who was first offered the role of Dirk Diggler and suggested Mark Wahlberg for it?
3: Oh, oh what do I get the feel It's not DiCaprio, is it?
2: Ding, ding. Well done. It is DiCaprio, and uh, he chose to do Titanic instead, which I can't, like, say that's a bad decision, because it was a very <laughs> successful film, but it's not as good a one, so... Uh, yeah, wonder what would have happened to Marky Mark if, if DiCaprio had taken this? Would his career have taken off? Who knows? Question two. How did Paul Thomas Anderson simulate the dialogue in the fake porn movies? How? Well not not I'm not guess- the literal not the literal technique, but how how did he make that dialogue happen? What
3: did, what was his choice? I'm guessing it's real dialogue taken from actual porn movies absolutely true yeah it's real
2: porn it's real porn dialogue which makes sense because it's terrible <laughs> so, okay question three you're doing well question three what was the name of the 70s disco band who have a song the film's title comes from
3: oh god keep on dancing um
2: well yeah the yeah the, the, they've got a song which the song is called Boogie Nights um is it Earth, Wind and Fire no sorry that was, a, that was a, probably a tricky one it's a band called Heat Wave Um, their lead singer was uh, a christian and he wouldn't let them use that that song when he realized the film was about porn and not dancing (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) yeah there you go question four which real life porn star plays little bill's wife so william h macy in the film
3: oh god it's the blonde um it's not it's not amber waves because that's um juliette moore's um the
2: character yeah
3: it's not Tracy Lords, is it? No, sorry, it's Nina Hartley. Right. Okay. I need to listen to more of the Rialto report. Yeah. <laughs> you clearly
2: haven't watched enough porn in preparation for this, Les. I'm
3: <laughs> that was the one I was hoping I would get.
2: All right. Question five. What was what was Wahlberg's prosthetic appendage made of?
3: Was it of like luncheon meat? <laughs> Spam, spam, yeah. No, silly putty.
2: <laughs> no, it was actually a biodegradable rubber and foam combination.
3: I know he took, he took it home with him well,
2: well afterwards. He did, he kept Pretty it. Weird. He kept his cock, which, yeah, you would. But it started deteriorating, apparently. So, <laughs> even massive fake dicks decay with age. There's something you've learnt there today, you, you know. I, bet, I wonder if there's a Wiki shuffle article, a Wikipedia article on that
1: on um, fake penises. <laughs> there is. I'm sure we'll find it. <laughs> You'll get there one day.
2: Okay. Question six: The character of Reed Rothschild names a fictional character. People say he looks like Burt Reynolds, who obviously played Jack Horner in the film. Turned down the chance to play this character. Who is it?
3: Oh God, it's a fictional character.
2: Yeah, and weirdly enough. Just just today, I saw an article from, from Burt Reynolds, and it's it's not the, it's not the character actually that he's that in this case, but he he was talking today about a uh, a character that he wishes he played, but it's not the same one as this. But I'll tell you who that wasn't a minute.
3: So who is oh, it? Well, I know that character is, is James Bond that he wish he would play. That's right. Yeah, it's um, not it's not this one. No, but it's not this one. It's fictional. So it's America around the seventies. Yeah. Yeah. Is it wrong to get one clue because I'm doing so badly? Okay, I'll give you a clue. We are about to catch up with him. About to catch up with
2: him?
1: Yeah. That's cryptic. That's a cryptic clue. I say that like I know where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> we're
3: about to catch up with it. Mm. Um, Sam Beckett, Quantum Leap. No, it's Han Solo. Oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> we're, uh, <laughs> we're about to catch up with him.
3: Aren't I we? Don't like Star Wars.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go, yeah. Um, yes, he wishes he'd. Uh, He uh, he turned down the chance to play Han Solo, but he wishes he'd he'd accepted the opportunity to play James Bond, which I think he got, like, in the early 70s. So, question seven, we're nearly there. How many times is the word fuck used in this film? Now, I'll give you... Chris. I'll, (laughs) I'll give you an average for this. Go on, Chris. 97. 97. Right, Les, give me a number, and whoever gets it closest wins
3: it's more than that it's, it's like Goodfellas amount of, um, wow. of swearing it's either like a, it's between 197 or 250 pick one <laughs> um, 197
2: you've got that Les I'm afraid it was 165 it was so, an outside bet. So, yeah, yeah uh-huh. not a bad effort though you, you were both right in that there was a lot <laughs> there was a lot of fuck and finally question eight in what country was the film banned for two years Chris Chris go on Ukraine <laughs> <laughs> no but it would make yeah. sense <laughs> you got to one didn't you so. <laughs> yeah did you have all the countries in a hat and you just picked one <laughs> <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> Les Australia no it was South Korea strangely enough South Korea as well which uh, you wouldn't think necessarily South Korea okay out of eight questions you have scored four that's not bad that's not a bad innings um, that's, not bad. No, that's not too bad that puts you um, half, about halfway on the leaderboard so um, yeah well done Chris is currently at the bottom <laughs> unfortunately of the leaderboard
1: what did you expect
2: <laughs> you will get you will get a chance you will get a chance to to you know another second shot at this so you can get the you know, points up on a film that you like at some point um, yeah <laughs> them them that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah uh, thanks for playing question time <laughs> Right, well that brings us to the end of this uh, podcast gentlemen thanks a lot it's been, uh, it's been a really good one this so uh, I appreciate you both coming on thank you
1: thanks for having
2: me absolute pleasure Les then where can we find you online
3: I'm kind to? of everywhere uh, you'll find me on Twitter uh, through afrofilmviewer.com uh, afrofilmviewer my blog is afrofilmviewer.com um, I, so I write for Vodzilla um, um, quite often I also write for the London Economic I'm also on Geek Planet Online. Um, uh, we've got a new uh, a new podcast. It's a monthly one at this moment in time. A uh, six-episode monthly podcast called uh, Cinematic Dramatic, and you can find that on iTunes.
2: And I thoroughly recommend that, it's a, a really, really interesting podcast with uh, two great cinephiles. So definitely look that up, guys. It's really, really worth your time.
1: Chris, how about you? Mm-hmm. Well, I host a wiki shuffle with yeah. uh, my friends... Jack and Phil. Um, every Tuesday, we, uh, we go. We press the random article button on Wikipedia and see what it throws up. You can find us on Wikishuffle.co.uk or Wikishufflepod on Twitter. And I'm Chris Wallace. One, two, three. And yeah,
2: I, I, I'm not just saying this because Chris is on the podcast. Wikishuffle is genuinely my favourite podcast out there. Aww, it really is, that's and, nice. and I li- <laughs> and I listen to quite a lot. And I love Wikishuffle. It is just so good. just go and check it out you will laugh your head off for 40 minutes every week so yeah brilliant thanks guys Uh, you can find uh, Pick a Flick at um, Pick a Flick Pod on Twitter and we're also on Facebook at Pick a Flick and you can email us any suggestions any feedback anything you want to say at Pick a Flick Pod at gmail.com Um, do get in touch we're on uh, Acast who are our hosts please do stream us there because they're awesome and um, I get to see all the statistics if you do that so that helps me Um, we love stats stats. we're also on Stitcher uh, who are also great and they're hosting us now we're of course on iTunes and do like us on there give us a 5 star rating because we're awesome and uh, thanks actually to Owen Hughes because he has actually done that from Foul Critics he has gone on there and said yeah they're good and give us them a five star he did say more than yeah they're good actually <laughs> <laughs> um, but cheers Owen that's really good yeah. but yeah thanks uh, thanks for that in advance if you do we'll be back soon with uh, some more um, flick picking so once again final thanks gents thank you no worries thanks a lot we've been Pick a Flick you pick him we watch him simple see you next time